This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 169. Today's special guest is back again, and it's Dr. Michael Bly. And we talk with Michael about his holistic leadership model and the alignment with polarity intelligence. Don't miss this one. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders and the missing logic in healthcare, so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Hello, everyone. This is Michelle. And this is Tracy, and it's Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. Yes, yes. Another fabulous episode, another fabulous guest, this time a return guest. Yes, I like it when people come back. I do too. Yeah, and it's just a great conversation. Um, wonderful, wonderful man. Just, just we're so simpatico. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are. And um, I don't know, it's just like we had him on our podcast before. We're talking about Dr. Michael Bly, so we'll give you a little hint of who we're talking about. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had such a great time with him on our first podcast with him, and we knew there was more to talk about. So we had him back and really had a great conversation about leadership and what is being called for right now, what we're learning right now. And uh, we're very much aligned in how we are thinking and what we're doing in the world. So that always makes things fun. Well, I think we're seeing the interdependencies, yes. right? And the potential that sits there. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things I felt so energized in our conversation was just, we all see the potential of what really could be if people were to be holistic yeah. leaders. And if and if they understood polarity intelligence and they really became competent in that, that there's so much potential in front of us, even though we're in really challenging times or we're experiencing a lot of still, a lot of unknowns. You know, there's opportunity that's sitting there and, and potential. And and uh, I think what Michael's bringing and what we're bringing is just aligned and yeah. builds on each other. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. So you're going to love this conversation. And I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Michael Bly, and then we'll get on with all the things we discussed together. So Dr. Michael Bly is a Wisconsin native who has held clinical, consultative service, academic, and association leadership positions. He's a recognized scholar and thought leader. He addresses national and international audiences, including nurses, executives, executives, government bodies, associations, and the media. 
For four contributions are significant to the advancement of the discipline. His engagement as one of the five nurses on the committee that wrote the original seminal report, The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health, issued through the Institute of Medicine, Wisdom at Work, The Importance of the Older and Experienced Nurse in the Workplace, published through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Men in Nursing, Understanding the Changes the Challenges, excuse me, men face in this predominantly female profession. And Analysis of the Nursing Workforce Crisis, A Call to Action, both published by the American Journal of Nursing. Dr. Bly has a diploma, BSN, MPH, and PhD from Midwestern Schools. He completed fellowships with the Robert Wood Foundation Executive Nurse Fellows Program, the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation. He's an inductee of the American Academy of Nursing and the National Academies of Practice. He proudly served as the president of CGFNS International and FNINR, both advance science and ensure workforce, workforce mobility, quality, and safety. He's done a lot. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so impressed. Yes. And uh, now on this episode, we talk about his holistic leadership model. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Dr. Michael Bly. Well, welcome, Michael. We're so, so thrilled to have you back on Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. I'm very glad to be here. And and let me say that, Michelle, it's always great to see you. And now I get to see Dr. Tracy again. So yes. <laughs> um, my hands off for, for that because congratulations. That is a lifetime achievement, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> for sure. It's a long journey. I'm glad it's over, right? <laughs> Very rewarding. But as you know, it's not without some stress and uh, challenges. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. Well, we're just super excited. We said at the end of our last podcast when you were out, which was episode number 140, that we would have you back and here you are and we're super excited to talk with you again and we're going to talk about an article that you wrote and your co-author Dr. John Bowles you start out your article differentiating leadership and management and by the way we just did a podcast on that (laughs) that polarity Uh, it was episode 157 so first we're going to start with you telling our listeners from your perspective what the difference is between leadership and management, and why we need to have both. Uh, Well, yes, you know, as a doctoral student, I was one that took to my professor, uh, Fred Luthans, who founded um, organizational behavior um, management as a theory. Um, I said, you know, Dr. Luthans, when people describe leadership, they invariably use the word management in it. And when I read the term management, they invariably describe leadership. And I said, if they're one and the same, and one word is used to define. And so I was wondering if you could help me understand the difference. And as a doctoral, as a professor might do, he said, that's the perfect (laughs) question for you to go figure out. (laughs) Um, I started on the journey of of looking at all of the various definitions of both um, that existed in the the literature at the time. 
um, and all of the grand theories of, of leadership and so on and so forth. And I did, in fact, find that a lot of a lot of definitions um, actually um, are used to inform both. But then I started also teasing out and noticing that there was a difference. Um, and so I've, I've written about it I, um, in Pat Yoder Weiss's book on leading and managing, which is used um, mostly in undergraduate um, nursing education. Last week when I was um, in Washington, D.C. with the American Organization of Nurse Leaders um, Fellows Program, I had the opportunity to ask the question of 25 of the nurse leaders, um, because that's the name of the, of the fellowship, if, if we could define, you know, if they could define what the difference was between leading, managing, and following. Um, and we teased out some of these key components. So here's, here's what we figured out along the way, because the topic was on complexity science and complexity dynamics. And so it wasn't hierarchical. It wasn't that the leader's at the top and then there's the manager and then there's the follower kind of there at the bottom. Um, we really approached leadership from, or we, we approached job roles, the roles that we hold, um, which have different layers of influence perhaps, as, as looking at those differences. And here's what um, we found are different. Um, leaders primarily, when we're acting as a leader, we are acting when there is an unknown, when we don't have a script. Um, we're acting more on principle than we are on, on the evidence. And a good example of this is in COVID early on. You know, we knew the problem, but we didn't know very much about the problem. We certainly didn't know how to manage the problem. And so we used principles. We used our values. We used um, those things around us that made sense in the moment. Um, and so the idea that leaders, you know, can attract others, can work with others um, to begin to figure out how to better manage the problem. So the pandemic today isn't over, but what's different is that we have a way of managing it. And that includes various kinds of therapy and immunizations and so on and so forth. So leadership happens um, anytime we enter a scenario where um, there fundamentally is, um, it's unknown, um, where there is an unknown scenario that's in front of us and we are compelled to act on that. Um, and it means not doing anything. You know, there's such a push on evidence-based practice. And I remind people that only about 20% of, of our practice um, can, is evidence-based just because our science is still catching up. Mm -hmm. with our actual practices. So it's an exciting time to be in nursing because we find that all of us are leading, all of us are managing. I was teasing the um, execs last week. I said, you all look really well-groomed this morning. How many of you um, were um, got through your morning wake-up routine um, while you were half awake? because they knew how to manage it. They knew how it was rote. Um, so management is sustaining those Habit. things that are routines, and that's not easy work. Um, a lot of surgeons, I was reminded of this when I had cataract surgery uh, two years ago, 
where they were managing my care. The surgeon was managing the care. I went almost through an assembly line process. Um, there was nothing abnormal. So it didn't take creativity and leadership because there was no unknown. It was all very known. And so, um, and then a good surgeon and a good team member will acquiesce to lead or to follow. But followership is equally important because sometimes we have to do the dance in, a, in an interaction um, and, and bring ourselves to the table. So I like that you're, you're able to start this dialogue today with leading, managing, mm -hmm. and following, because I think often we don't know what those differentiating factors are between the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're certainly still in unknown times, right? And oh, th absolutely. Right. And we'll and we will be. We will until be. we normalize, but that that's the human part of this. At some point we will normalize it and then our curiosity kind of goes away. Um and and there's some danger in that too. Um, and so sometimes we'll sustain management practices well beyond their usefulness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's all got to be balanced. We all have to be aware of it. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and we've been hearing from leaders, especially just this last week, about looking for the normal. Where's the next normal, right? And they want to get to the normal. And it, it's really they want that stability, right? Because yes. they've been in so much chaos and so much change. And they're looking to normalize it to your, to your point. Yeah. Well, we yearn for that, don't we? Yeah, we yearn yeah. for the simplicity of waking up in the morning and knowing how to groom ourselves and not having to think about it. Um, yeah. Likewise, when we go to work, many of the staff nurses, they like the normality of sometimes a full, a full unit um, is a dream come true because mm -hmm. the unknown of a new admission um, is more challenging than I like to know this is my this yeah. is my focus for the day, and I can manage my day um, without the chaos of those interventions. So we all like normalcy mm -hmm. because it saves our energy, and we get into a routine, um, but those routines sometimes also need to be challenged. Exactly. Yeah, we did another podcast, we recorded one yesterday on stability and change at a personal level as a, as a leader, and that just perfectly described it, yeah. Michael. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the end of the last podcast you were on, we we talked about the article that you co-authored um, uh, called A Model for Holistic Leadership in Post-Pandemic Recovery. And we wanted to have you back because there's such great concepts in there and we wanted to do a deeper dive. And you describe holistic leadership as highly relevant in the post-pandemic world. And we concur, uh, totally concur. And as you're aware, we believe that polarity intelligence is a critical leadership competency post-pandemic. And so it, we saw a lot of alignment between what you were bringing forward with a holistic model and what we're bringing forward with polarity intelligence. And just for a little background for our listeners, um, we've defined polarity intelligence as unconscious competence in recognizing polarities and the ability to understand and dynamically balance the invisible energy between two interdependent points of views or values 
by transcending personal biases and focusing actions and behaviors on achieving a greater purpose. And we kind of we coined that last year in 2021 as our work and our thinking and our connecting with leaders has evolved. And we're actually writing a book on polarity intelligence right now. And what we've really distilled, Michael, is it requires a polarity mindset to see those interdependencies, um, healthy relationships, and meaningful dialogue. You need all three to navigate and to really make an impact and continue to achieve the greater purpose uh, within context of what we're dealing with to effectively lead in healthcare today. So what we want to propose for our podcast interview with you today is to walk through the, the dimensions that you have in the holistic leader model and discuss why you feel it's essential. And you use the word harmonize. We use the word dynamically balanced, but we're all kind of thinking the same way yeah. to, uh, to really make a difference and why this is so important in leadership today. Um, and I am going to kick us off with... Um, the first domain, which is self-awareness and values clarification, um, which is great. We love that you started with self. Just have to say that. And bef- and you know, or I, what I want to ask you is before we can lead others, we need to lead ourselves. So tell our listeners why you started with this domain. Well, you know, it, it, just part of being human is mm-hmm. to have a sense of your own um, place in the world Um, And if you're going to take on um, organizational roles that um, have expansive responsibilities, um, one needs to know what drives um, purpose. You know, we're in a very interesting time where there are very great debates from a polarity perspective on whether it's abortion or gun rights or whatever. I mean, we're in a world, you know, and we're looking at leaders right now. Um, who are, we're trying to understand them. And in order to understand them, we have to question our own values and what are their values. We have to try to find that place where where there's a connecting piece. I think if you don't have the reflective capacity, and I think reflection is the key part of this, um, there's all sorts of instruments, for example. Some of us have taken the Myers-Briggs or there's, you know, different kinds of ways to find oneself. And there's, you know, those are all um, instruments that sometimes help us discover who we are. Sometimes they're used to validate who we are. Oh, that's me. I see myself in that strengths finder. And so I'm a this or I'm a that. But without reflection, the purpose of it isn't necessarily just to discover, although that certainly is fun, um, and it's a great place to start. Um, It's also a place where if you don't reflect, you don't reflect about, well, what does that mean then? How do I use those, that capacity to understand my values, um, to enrich my values, sometimes to even shift them? Um, When I work with graduate students, they often, we, we have them go through Um, And there's an exercise of there's over 100 values and they select the ones and they, you know, nurses have values like caring always show up and Mm -hmm. you see the very traditional things. But as the semester goes on and they're given um, opportunities to test those values, 
I have them go back to the original because, again, we've normalized the values that sound right to us. Um, but then we get to a higher level and we find that maybe our, we're not acting on those values. So if you don't have the reflective capacity to say um, in a values clarification way, you know, if given this and this, this is what I would choose. It's in that decision making where those values really shine and where we really get to know at a deeper level or maybe a more mature level what our values really are. So if, if, if we don't know and don't, aren't able to articulate our values, because many of those things are, you know, we've been socialized into a certain way of being and oh, yes. a, a certain values. But when you bring those to light, um, and this is where polarity, I think, comes in, because those values are on display and we have to wrestle with them. And that's what we should be doing with our values, not just espousing them, but looking at the behaviors and questioning ourselves so that we can refine them and mature. And I think in that, at any age, comes wisdom, um, the wisdom to act and the wisdom to be and the wisdom to be comfortable with mm -hmm. oneself mm -hmm. and one's purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, we totally are with you, Michael. And um, in our coaching programs with healthcare leaders, um, we start out with clarifying values to, for that very same reason. And, um, and, and, and it starts with you as a person, as a human being and as a leader and what we've learned and what we've seen in the transformation of leaders through the program is... Um, if they can understand polarities, dialogue with themselves, relationship with themselves first, it really makes a difference in how they interact with the world and what they bring to the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're helping them sharpen their values because mm -hmm. I think we all value certain kinds of things as a <clears throat> human, you know, in yeah. humanity. But you sharpen them, and and I think that's where, um, in order to evolve in this model. It's that sharpening and awareness of them and um, intentionality about yeah. them yeah. that um, is a gift that both of you um, really bring to the work that you do. And certainly I try to do the same in the work that yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, too, when you think about polarities, polarities are interdependent values. So oftentimes when we're experiencing the tension in our life, it's because it's a both and not an either or. And we're feeling pressure, right? We're feeling that tension because we're ignoring a value that's interdependent with another value that we hold. And if we don't recognize that, right, then we're in this this uh, vicious cycle of negative consequences and unintended consequences. And so I think it's just, it's heightening the awareness that not every value is a standalone, right? There, there are interdependencies with these. Absolutely. And, you know, in that work, you know, as you're describing it, also comes acceptance, not necessarily yeah. agreement, but acceptance of a point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and yes. therein lies the space to make change happen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So true. So true. And so the second um, dimension in your framework is relational capacity through team, professional, and social networks. And oh, oh my gosh, connection is becoming so, so important, right? We're swinging from being isolated to being connected, right? Everybody wants to yeah. be connected because we've been isolated, right? So 
It's like that individual and the group, right? And the team. And we just, we're longing, people are longing for the connection. So this is so important, especially post-pandemic. And you describe holistic leaders um, being needing to be relational. Um, and so tell our listeners a little bit about about that and your perspective on that and then how communication is also an aspect of this dimension. Yeah. Um, thank you for that question. Um, you know, this dimension, relational capacity, has to do with how we behave in groups. Um, you know, I, I know there, there are times when individuals have a strong sense of themselves, but um, then when they're in groups, um, they relate in different ways. Um, and, and so the relational piece is how do we behave? What's the level of maturity in a group? Um, and, and so we spend a lot of time in healthcare teaching strategies around conflict, but I'm not sure we spend as much time or if sometimes any time, how do we manage agreement? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's the work that was done in the, um, I believe it was the 70s, the Abilene Paradox where everyone went to Abilene for ice cream, but the fact of the matter is no one wanted to go. And they didn't realize that until they got back. And they were all in agreement, but people say sometimes those things that people want to hear Mm -hmm. um, rather than expressing the truth. And sometimes it's because we don't want to alienate ourselves from a a group. Um, And so this ability to really, to, to get to the point where, you know, we can be honest in, in our relationships. Um, communication is an important part of that. Um, not waiting until after the fact um, is really important. Is really important. Um, and then in order to gain perspective, right, we're talking about values. Well, values can morph um, in terms yeah. of clarification and clarity because of the networks. And sometimes, you know, I sometimes have said, you know, why do nurses always go to lunch together um, or take a break together? Or they won't go. They won't take a break. (laughs) The opportunity to network with another discipline, even as simple as that, would give a different perspective on how the organization functions. And in that network might come solutions to issues Mm -hmm. or certainly social capital mm-hmm. becomes available. And that social capital is sometimes I get things done because of, yes, it's because of who I know. Um, I can tap that and have that dialogue and have that conversation. So I think, think the second level has to do with our group behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it is our ability to reach out, to communicate in ways um, I'll share with you just one quick exercise. I had the nurse execs um, go out in the hall of, uh, into the lobby of a hotel last week, and I gave them this assignment, and I didn't give them a timeline. I, I set up some physical boundaries, and I said, um, your task here is to, um, to walk aimlessly and silently within these boundaries. And so... There they are out in the hotel lobby, walking aimlessly and silently. And so one of the 
outcomes of this exercise. And it, I, I, it lasted about five or six minutes. I didn't hit, make them, but that was long enough for them to yeah. make the point. One, they realized that nothing was aimless. I said, none of yeah. you got on the chairs. None of you got on the, none of you ran into each other. And if it was truly aimless, yep. there would have been some <clears throat> kind of, uh, yeah. and, and, and so, and then some of you started interacting with the environment. But I think the most profound thing was people started talking about communication. And there was one very wise young woman who said, you know, Mike, um, we were communicating. We just weren't speaking. And they talked about the visual um, and what was able to be communicated in other ways and how important that was. And they realized that in their jobs, most of what is attempted is verbal communication, oral communication, when in fact, relational capacity and networking, um, one gets an energy, one gets a way of looking at someone, one, one certainly can convey a lot of different things with, with a look rather than, um, I think of the, the queen last week with, with, and, and the, um, the princess and her son, um, the look that she gave to, um, um, I'm forgetting the, the youngest one's name, but he was acting out uh, while the, uh, yeah, during the yeah. jubilee. <laughs> and I, I just had to laugh at that because the nonverbal said, I think he even thumbed his mom at one point. I thought he's not saying anything, but his nonverbals are communicating a lot about whether he was happy <laughs> or sad. Um, and hopefully your viewers will know what I'm talking yeah, about and, yeah. and look this up if they haven't seen it. But mm-hmm. that's the relational capacity and networking and really enhancing the communication capacity, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, um, and in other ways. Yeah. Wow. Well, two of the big things that we're bringing forward with Clarity Intelligence are healthy relationships, which is the whole relationship aspect, so important, and meaningful dialogue. And one of the principles in meaningful dialogue is silence and reflection. And you're right, in the day-to-day world, in the management, corporate world, even in healthcare, um, People are uncomfortable with silence and we can communicate. And we always pose the question, have you ever been with a patient and not said a word, but you know you're connected and and caregivers can relate to that. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to also bring it. That's how we need to be with each other um, as well. So I love your exercise and your example that you shared. And it's so important in leadership. And the other principles, candor and diplomacy to back to your, you know, comment about how we just tell people what we think they want to hear. We just go along right to the ice cream. <laughs> like it's, you've got to be candid. You know, it's that balance of candor and diplomacy and really yeah. knowing how to leverage that. The tension between the two is another aspect well, of this. I think that came up that, that I, I just heard about. I mean, it was, you know, there were there was an administrator presenting a staffing model during the pandemic, and no one agreed with it. No one agreed with it. Um, but the, in the meeting, they all stayed silent. Um, well, and of course, when the meeting was over, everyone to a person said, "That's never going to work. We don't support it." So, so what was the block? What was the fear? What was the anxiety? What was the block there? Yeah. Because that was the moment. That was the moment where. There should have been dialogue in a healthy relationship. There would have been dialogue. There would have been taken that time out. Um, So I'm all for 
that silent piece um, and, and that reflective piece. Um, people who are naturally introverted sometimes do that better than those of us who are, you know, blatantly extroverted and think out loud. But those are the people that are quiet, that are picking up so much. Yep. So that's where we come together. And I, yeah. I, I'm uh-huh. so, again, grateful for the work that you do because you help shine a light on why that's relevant. And it is, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. I kind of forgot about the Abilene paradox. I'm going to go look it up again because I remember I loved it when I learned it 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad you brought you know, that it, up. <laughs> it's more relevant today because we yeah. are managing agreement. And I don't know why we always yeah. say something about us that we're focused on only how, how to help people manage conflict. Um, where most of what we're doing is managing agreement whether we speak to it or whether it's a nonverbal understanding. Um, I've been in a room with people who are just, I know they don't agree, but they don't speak to it. It yeah. doesn't mean that I don't know that they're unhappy because I picked it up by their energy, by their nonverbal, yeah. um, by the way they phrase a question. If they do speak up, you know where people are at, but that managing agreement um, becomes really really critical, you know, and, and McKay in in his work lists out some of the reasons why humans, the human experience, why we are hesitant to manage agreement. And, And so I think, again, this polarity of, it's not just managing conflict. It's gotta be, how do we manage agreement as well? It's the tension between the two that gives us energy Mm -hmm, and and really sets a better direction. Well, it is. And, you know, the conflict is the tension between the interdependent values. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's understanding both points of view, right? And and that there's wisdom in the resistance. There's wisdom in those fears that can help us to understand and have the whole picture versus a unipolar picture of what the reality is. Well, and therein lies the reason for a model for holistic leadership. Yeah, exactly. That word, you know, to get the whole perspective. Yeah, um, exactly. Is what we want to bring as nurses. Yeah, we want to bring that to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the third dimension, which is problem-solving capacity with emphasis on complex and multidimensional problem-solving and action orientation. So how do you describe multidimensional problem-solving? Well, I think so many. Here's the difference between managing, where we have a normalized routine where we're following, um, and one where we're really solving complex issues that may not may, may be intractable. Um, they may not have a, a one solution, and there may not be a perfect solution. So in order to be effective, um, and as life unfolds, and you know the older I get, I'd like to think that I'm able to see the world in a more of a multi-dimensional way. Um, when I, I remember a scenario when we were doing budgeting, this was many years ago, and I was a chief nursing officer in Wisconsin. Um, and I remember that um, in silos, everyone was asked, because this is what we do in a hierarchy, we always look for resource you know, expediency. So um, the person in the food and nutrition service department decided to cut out the food service for the night shift. Um, job done for them. 
um, <laughs> with no sensitivity to what it might be like to be a night shift worker, to why there, there be a food service other than vending. Um, and there was no dialogue with anyone. And so there is just one simple example of why multidimensional had that person engaged in dialogue, if we could have talked about the values, there may have been movement to do something without going to the extreme. And we live in a time right now where there's a lot of extreme behaviors mm -hmm. that are going on. So there's an example of why multidimensional. And I think nurses work with all these disciplines and we work with the patient directly. We work with families directly and more and more we work within and with communities. So if we don't look at things from a multidisciplinary perspective, a multi-lens perspective, mm -hmm. I liken it to the ICU trauma patient where, yes, we save their lives, but the patient has permanent contractures because we didn't look at the holistic need yeah. and that the goal isn't only survival, even though it is in the moment. We have to have the foresight a word that I know you work with a mm -hmm. lot. We have to have the foresight to understand that when this person survives, they also have to function with ADLs. And, and so activities of daily living are not a key focus in the critical care trauma bay. You know, it's, it's not where that's at. But if that's not embedded in our thinking, then not only do we salvage the life, but we create another set of problems. And I think in organizations, the same thing. And why I believe nurses should be, you know, at the table, because we are kind of, we are trained in this way of thinking. And not every discipline, frankly, is. Some people are trained in a very financial lens. Um, and that's their dominant paradigm. Others are, might be, you know, um, in another kind of, of Maybe their gift in the organizations, they do construction. So, but who are we doing those for? And why are we doing it? And what are we doing it for? So, again, I like to think that we emphasize an, an interprofessional perspective um, that's context-bound. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so context-bound decision-making, this is where the action has. And it's not just making the decision. It's acting on the decision. Um, again, I think as Congress is wrestling right now with with all of the shootings that have happened in America, people are not they're not questioning policy. There's over seventy percent agreement on the policies, but there's no action. And mm -hmm. so I think it's easy to decide and then to decide again and then to decide again <laughs> and then to decide again, yeah. <laughs> um, but not act. And so we keep deciding and meeting to decide, and we all leave happy that we made a decision, but there's no action that goes with it. Yeah. Um, we talk about critical thinking all the time. Got to be able to critically think, but you also need to be critically able to act. Yeah. And critical action, in my mind, parallels the thinking ability of it. Yeah. I, I use the example of I can look at a heart monitor and go, mm -hmm, yeah, I think that's. Could it, uh, it looks like atrial fib. Oh no, it's tacky. No, oh, oh, it is. It is fib. Okay, 
Well, that took you eight minutes to decide. <laughs> so you did critically think and you came up with the right, but you didn't act. act. And so yeah. we don't talk about critical action. And in organizational work, it has to be about action and not the immobility that comes with hierarchies. Right. We've got to have this adaptable sense or, mm-hmm. frankly, healthcare will look very different as new players try to enter the market. Yeah. Right. So that's yeah. why I talk about um, that piece of it. I think it's mm-hmm. critical. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It is and it's it, part and, and whole. It is a part and whole, local, global, individual team. And so really what's coming to me is your your how you're describing multidimensional problem solving is a lot of them are polarities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's different words, but what you're describing in every scenario, there is a cornerstone polarity that yeah. drove that action there or, is a or inaction. In each, in each one of those elements, there yes. is a polarity in absolutely. It, yeah. 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 So, for example, supply chain issues, which are huge right now, uh-huh. versus yeah. corporate profiteering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there polarities in that? Sure. You bet there are polarities. Mission and margin. In that. <laughs> so, you know, it is not only the ability to think and see what the dynamics are. Yeah. Um, people are complaining about the price of gas. And so they're all too willing to blame one person or one group for that. But the truth is, it's the polarity and the yeah. tension of the values yeah. that would say, why are. You know, why is profiteering happening and on the backs of whom? And is that okay? That's where the polarity rests. So you can have that perspective or not. Um, so that perspective is so important. And you're right. I This is why I so value your work, um, because there are very few people out there that are willing to tackle the polarities. Because, frankly, it's messier. It's oh, harder work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Well, it takes intention and vigilance. Yes. But on the other side of that is the outcomes that we want, right? Is staying in the outcomes, the sustainable, the sustainability of it. And we've got so many people, new leaders and right. We need these people to be leaders right now in healthcare, right? We need them to step into this unknown and to be that leader. And what I heard in your, what you said was it's, it's deciding who do I have to be to take the critical action that's necessary. Yes. You know, and not let the fears hold me back, but just charge into it, right? That's what leaders do. Sometimes you don't know, you make your best guess and you go for it. <laughs> well, you know, we're using leaders in title in kind of an entitled and way. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But it but it takes in, you know, in its time, America is begging us to write a new script. Yeah. To not to reinvent the old script. The old script doesn't work well anymore. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, you look at organizations like Amazon, who started out as a book company, but they saw themselves. And now people kind of don't even remember that that was the, how they evolved. We right. need that in healthcare. Yes. We can't keep reinventing a structure that only really frankly, um, endorses and rewards those that have some way of paying for health care. Mm-hmm. And so for those, and we've got leaky safety nets, but it makes us feel good. So there's the tension between, mm-hmm. oh, well, there's a safety net grossly underfunded, and that net could never capture those people that fundamentally have no access to care because of 
they have no insurance card, right. which is the in our country, that's the that's the link. That's the golden so ticket. Think, you know, <laughs> this notion of writing a new script is why we need a leadership behaviors right now. Yes. Right now. Yep. yep. And at, to your point, everybody can be a leader. Right. Everybody can lead. Following. There's times when we, we would do well to follow someone that makes sense and bring our talents in that following is not passivity. It's action. Right. It is yep. activity. Yes. And it's bringing our talents to the table to um, to spice it up, uh, to to nuance it, to bring new dimensions of thinking to it. Mm-hmm. That's what good followers do. So yes, we're yeah. we're we're in sync here. All right, <laughs> we knew that. <laughs> All right, we're on to the fourth dimension, which is other orientation, as in seeing through the lenses of others, individuals, disciplines, internal and external stakeholders. So that really speaks to listening to that other point of view, as we've kind of been talking about that all through our conversation today. And what are ways do you think that you believe um, leaders can strengthen that skill, right, in in this domain? Yeah, I'm going to give you a very tangible example. I thought I was being very helpful to someone who was new to an organization. Um, And um, again, this is an area that you kind of grow into Mm -hmm. um, the ability, because when you're first in nursing, you're kind of focused on self and getting through the day and getting to, uh, be, becoming part of the team and then how you make decisions. But when you get to this level, so I thought I was being really helpful. I was kind of protecting this person. I was co- communicating with them. And the more I was making these kind, and I want to point out they were kind gestures, the more resistance I felt from this individual mm-hmm. to the point where I was just really frustrated. Um, And I had someone come in and say, I'm going to do an exercise with you, Mike. I want you to talk in first person, in first person um, about, I'll make up a name, about your relationship with, with Sue. Okay. So, you know, I was asked a question and I said, well, what Sue would say is, and they said, no, 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 no. You're, you're not first person. You have to be Sue. And I thought, okay, I got it. I got it. I got through it. And I started out maybe a sentence as Sue when they asked me another question. And then I immediately went back into, and then Sue would do this for this. For this. What I'm doing is just putting my own point of view onto yeah. Sue, thinking that I'm understanding Sue. And it took yeah. me three or four tries before I finally um, got to the ability for three minutes, because that was the exercise. For three minutes, I had to be Sue, not Mike. I had to be Sue. And so the question that was posed, I'll never forget it. The question that was posed to, <laughs> to it was, Sue, what do you think of Mike? Mm, oh. Wow. <laughs> and, and, um, and I, and I did it. I finally got it. I said, well, I think he's trying way too hard and he must not trust my competency. And so I'm resisting him and I'm not really a fan of him because, you know, I, I think he thinks I can't do my job. And I went on for three minutes about Mike and it was like 
I'll never forget it because from that point on, once I got to in her moccasins yep. and walked that mile as her, I fundamentally changed my approach. And I fundamentally began to understand why my helpfulness was seen in a very different way than my intention. Mm-hmm. So now we get back to communication and how do we in- interact mm-hmm. with each other. So I think, and there's been a lot of work in this country on nurses on boards. Um, And I am a big component. I am a big advocate for nurses on boards. But you're not there because for the only reason that you are a nurse. You're there to um, think about the organization, their mission, and how your perspective can enrich it. And I think a lot of nurses have gone on to these positions to protect and defend nursing. And so it came clear to me that that's not why you're on the board. You are on the board because you have a holistic framework, because you bring a unique perspective, but protecting and defending nursing doesn't give you the leverage of looking at the organization through the lens of a bo- as a board member. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is why this is so hard. It sounds like it wouldn't be, but I think there comes a time when rather than being angry at a physician... I go the ex- back to the exercise with Sue in my head. What would Dr. I'll make up a name, Dr. Harris. Let me be Dr. Harris in my head and let me talk in first person how Dr. Harris sees it. And then often the anger goes away or the frustration goes away. And before long, I approach that communication wondering how And I this this mantra for me is, how do I want Dr. Harris to think? How do I want to make Dr. Harris feel? And what do I need Dr. Harris to do? Again, going back to that action orientation. Mm-hmm. So now that I've been in his head and, and I've, I've spent as much authentic time as I can being Dr. Harris, my relationship kind of is moderated and it gives me new strategies and new insights to manage the polarities that undoubtedly probably are still going to exist between what Dr. Harris wants and what the nursing staff might want. So now, but but we're in a different space to do that work. We're not in the adversarial um, where we know we're going to have tension and it's a matter of, of winning um, at all costs and then losing the overall war. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and because their perspective more than likely compliments yours, right? It is a both and. It's yeah. not, right? You don't exactly. have to be fearful. Yeah. yeah. But we don't start out with the both and. We start no. out with the either or. Either you mm-hmm. win or I win. I win. Yeah, it's a win or lose. And it's win or lose. And when we get to the polarity space, we start to get to the point where we understand that there is kind of this harmonization mm-hmm. of values, this... Yeah. This, this sensitivity to, now we can move and we can get back to acting. Yeah, now we can yeah. act and because here's where movement is possible. And if nothing else, we're not only moving, 
we're also kind of liking each other. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Darn it, man. Well, that's how you transcend the personal biases, right? Which is part of our definition. Is you, and, and that does help you move into action towards a greater good, which yep. is that whole polarity intelligence, the way of thinking and being. and Well, and it's so focusing connected. on that shared purpose, shared right? Purpose. We, you both want the same thing, ultimately, right? Yes. It's really just how we're going to get the polarity best of both. Polarity intelligence leads to polarity wisdom. Yes. Yes, it exactly. Mm-hmm. It does. It's, it, it, it's, it's being intelligent. And from that, with those reflective skills that started yes. way back in the model, with yep. those reflective skills comes a polarity wisdom, yep. which yeah. only enhances when the next problem that's intractable or the next problem for which there is no script, the next yep. virus comes along. We have a space to move now, and we mm-hmm. have a skill set where we can move, and it helps us to truly be resilient and adaptive. And there's been a lot said about, oh, nurses have to be resilient and adaptive, but there's no there's no kind of Frame. guide to get them exactly. to that point. Yeah. It's just an expectation, right. which oh, is only man. more stressful, right? I, yeah. I, I'm supposed to be adaptable. I think I am adaptable. How do I do that? <laughs> because there's no, there's no space in, in evolving. That's why yeah. I like the model that that we've come mm-hmm. up with, um, mm-hmm. because I think it brings it to a level of maturing. Yeah, um, and I think you can do any of those four levels, layers, probably more than levels. Those layers of evolution. I think we can do that at any point in our career maturation. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah. It, it refines itself with time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you handle yourself holistically, then I think you're going to get a good outcome. And again, in a world that is very polar, we need the maturity that comes with with polarity wisdom. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. that wisdom. Yeah. Not only the intelligence, but the wisdom that right. goes with it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh boy! Well, we, we just love talking to you. We just love talking with you, Michael. It's uh, <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much. Well, like, because and again, I, I'm very much again. You know this, and I, I know that you're. I'm, I'm going to be very explicit about this and uh, unabashedly unashamed. But I really support your work, mm-hmm. um, and this is not just because I'm speaking to you. Because there aren't people out there doing this kind of work. Um, readily, especially in healthcare. Right. So I do believe that you're um, kind of writing a script for this. And now you tell me you're writing a book. Um, So in writing that book, what is that? It's a script, right? You're thinking about this in ways that hopefully will bring about wisdom. So I laud you for your boldness um, in writing a script where too few have, or whether the script is really just more of an outline and you're filling it in. So you go for it. We <laughs> are. We it. are. We are. We it's are. just the first of many yes. books to yeah. come. It really go. is. It really is. The world is calling for it and we are we are stepping up to deliver it. Yeah. And we and we love being with people, kindred spirits like you that yeah. really can appreciate. It is hard work, it is more complex, but it's what's needed right now and we're really committed to bringing it out. Yep. So, yep. 
Okay, well, that's a wrap, but we have the missing questions, and we can't wait to ask you the new missing questions, Michael. So I'm going to okay. ask you the I'm going to ask you the first two, and Tracy's going to ask the wrap up. Um, okay, the last time we we had you on the podcast, we asked you. We it was a great question. If you had you have know, chef to prepare your favorite meal, what would it be? And you immediately said authentic Italian food. So we would like to know. We're going to build on that. We'd like to know what is your favorite Italian dish or food? Like, what's your favorite of all the Italian food you've had? What's your favorite? Oh, do you know what arancini is? No, no. It's kind of like a fried rice ball, mm. and it's it's it takes a lot of love and attention to do it well. Usually, it's filled with something, and if that something happens to be a good cheese with maybe a bit of Italian sausage, um, usually they're about this big, um, and they're 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 fried so it's got a crunchy outside but then mm. the softness of that rice on the inside along with the flavoring of the cheese oh, oh my mouth is okay <laughs> now my stomach's <laughs> growling <laughs> heaven is on earth heaven can be on earth and a good arancini now if it's over fried or whatever but when it comes out just right Oh, I'm going to put my, I'm going to say that. Okay. Uh, Oh, that's so great. I know how much it means because he closed his eyes. I know. (laughs) (laughs) My granddaughter does that when she's eating something. She really, she just closes her eyes and she's just like in that moment tasting it. I knew that was really hitting you. (laughs) All right. My second missing question is, uh, we know you've traveled extensively for your work. What is your favorite city for you to visit and why? Oh, well, I would have to say um, Taipei. Mm -hmm. Um, I have Taiwanese friends. I love the city. I love the culture. I love the sense of independence. We know that there's a lot of tension um, between Taiwan and mainland China. So the people in Taiwan and in general, but also in Taipei, they have this sense of country, pride of country. Um, They have a strong sense of of being welcoming and appreciative. Um, They love sharing everything about their city. Um, They used to have the tallest building in the world. It no longer is. But everything about it, the hills, the mountains, um, the, the sea. Um, and so I've had, um, probably the most phenomenal experiences. Um, and I've been there twice for, um, well over a week each time. So I've seen the national museum. I I've seen Cheyenne Kashek's, um, his house. Um, I get a sense of the history and purpose there. So yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it up for, for, um, Taipei. Um, I, I think it's a very, very special place. Oh, that's awesome. Makes me want to go there. Yeah, your I description. know. We have not been there. No, I haven't. All right. The last one, right, well, is you, all... You can, bring polarity. you can bring polarity to Taiwan. Okay. okay. All right. Well, there okay. we go. 
That's how we'll get there. Put it on our list. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely, definitely. All right, well, our wrap-up question, as you know, is about polarity intelligence and about preferences for polls. And we know that when we have a preference, it's fine to have a preference, but you want to know it, right? Because you can kind of tend to lean that way a little bit more. And there can be a blind side if you have a really strong preference for one poll more than another. So our polarity that we're going to ask you about today is stability or change. So where does your preference sit? Oh, that is a very, <laughs> you're very good at polarity. Let me say, because those two are very, you know, I think humans long for stability, but there's something hardwired in us that makes us uniquely human, um, that change is inevitable. And so I'm going to lean on the side of change. Yeah. Um, the world is not what we want it to be. Um, our society right now is not what we want it to be. And if it doesn't change, um, you know, to mire ourselves down in stability means to accept what's there. Um, and I don't think most Americans are in that space. Um, I don't think I'm in that space. So I'm going to go on the side of, of, of change. Um, and in that change comes new perspectives and wisdom. And I think a dose of that right now would be really special. Yeah, uh, oh, yes. we can't agree more. So true, so oh, true. Oh, such a wonderful time. Thank you so much for being with us again. And yeah, uh, I can just see it. You're going to come back again. I just know I it. Know. <laughs> we got to keep the conversation going here. <laughs> you know what? I love, I, I would welcome that invitation. I love working with both of you. And I love, you know, your audience may not know that these are unscripted. This, these yeah. are truly conversations. Yes. Um, and I never quite know where they're going to go. So you take a deep breath and you just begin and you always make it so welcoming. So anytime we want to chat, we'll just do it. Um, and and I, I would love that very much because, again, I value and appreciate both of you. Yeah. And it's fun getting to know you yeah. more and more with each podcast. We both <laughs> leave each other like oh my gosh, yeah, you know, I know Michelle and Tracy really well because, you know, we're kind of at that soul level. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, we are, we are. Thank wow. you so much. You're Thank you so for all, you, all you're doing, Michael. Yes, and, oh, it's in fabulous. the world in healthcare, and yeah, we'll definitely keep connected and keep the con- keep the conversation going. Yeah, yeah. And for our listeners. Thank you again for joining us today and listening to our interview with Michael. And uh, we will see you next time on Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. And stay healthy and stay safe. Yes. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.